Welcome back to the Lime Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander, and this is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and mother flipping movement. Today's gorgeous conversations with my friend, Chris Williamson. Chris is essentially like a modern day philosopher spliced together with a behavioral psychologist. And in this conversation, we get into some of these behavioral psychological dynamics going on inside of our minds in relation to dating, human sexuality, pair bonding, competition, and success, meaning of success. Oftentimes we pigeonhole the concept of success into economic success, but it's clearly a subjective word, and we unpack some of that in this conversation. So I think it's a really interesting conversation. I think you guys will dig it. You can get a lot out of it. And I wanted to share that we are launching the Align Method Expanded Revised Version book. It is out now. It's actually going out in like five days, but it's up for pre-sale now. You'll get it very soon. And if you are interested in a gift for yourself or friends or family that unpacks the interworkings of how to uh, get the most out of your body is really what it is. It's like a user's manual for physical inhabitants that's tapping into proper mechanics for strength, for longevity, for flexibility, um, how to tap into your senses, visual senses, touch, auditory, um, in order to upregulate your nervous system, make you feel stimulated, awake, in order to downregulate or calm your nervous system down. The Align Method book really is a reframe of the meaning of fitness. And I think you guys are really going to dig that. Uh, if you want to get yourself a copy, you can jump over to thealignbook.com. That's the A-L-I-G-N book. Dot com on there. You'll see a link to grab a copy. It'll be out to your place in probably just about a week. So I think you guys are going to dig that. Thank you so much for the support along the way. It's because of you that I was able to write a book in the first place and have any publishers actually open and interested to do a book with me. So thank you all so much for the support along the way. Thanks for tuning into this. Thanks for sharing if you do. Thanks for reviews if you do. Let's get into it with my man, Chris Williamson. Pow. You ever had any uh, any uh, scares or situations with your relationship to STDs, Chris? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, which which young person hasn't been through the fires and the tribulations of waking up one morning and thinking, oh, no, and then getting tested and thinking, oh, yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah man. We have a lot of stigma around ST. They changed it to STI, which I think is less incriminating. What's I? Infection. Infection. Okay. Yeah. I heard a rumor when women in America give birth, they immediately squirt an anti-chlamydial solution into the eyes of the baby because the number of women that have chlamydia that are giving birth and don't know about it, and it's really dangerous because it can cause like visual impairment in oh children. Uh uh-uh. Don't know anything about that. This is straight out of the bottom end of Reddit or some shit. Wow. Like a 4chan rumor. But... All I know about is the value in being exposed to the vaginal fluids to cultivate the the child's microbiome. And when you're bypassing that through having a C-section, it can be incredibly problematic for the, the child. Oh, really? Just lo- like forever? Long term? Yeah, yeah. And so what they'll do is they'll take the vaginal fluids from the gal and they'll, they'll kind of swipe them about. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good thing. Like give it a little massage? Yeah. The world's so weird. You can buy, essentially like buy probiotic dirt because we've been removed from nature. Okay. And so by being, you know how you get a dog, I'm sure you've heard this, you get a dog can help with bringing in the various different bugs and germs and bacteria and all the stuff they would gather from the woods. And that can also help develop the immune response of, of children and adults. For that oh, because dogs walk around they in bring, dirt. They bring nature inside. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So they counteract a hyper clean house. That's correct. 
Nice. Yeah. Here's a good stat for you. So okay. <laughs> we're gonna be talking about relationships at some point today, right? I can't wait. Let's fuck it. Let me give you let me give you this truth bomb. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. There was a study conducted on how long people live in relationship to their relationship status. So people who were single, that was number one. Then they found that people who have children and a family, they lived a little longer. And people who had uh, children and a family and a dog, they lived longer. But the people that lived longest of all were people without a family who just had a dog. Mm. Fuck it. Sack off the family. Just get the dog. What do you think that is? I'm not sure. It could be noise in the data. I don't know how robust that study was. It's just a funny... I certainly think that even just anecdotally, how much nicer being around a dog 24-7 makes me feel is it can't be not good for me. It's just joy, like sheer joy being near a dog. I know that there's studies that show that humans sleep more deeply if they can hear the snoring of a dog. Mm. And that makes a lot of sense because dogs would be there as our protection mechanism. There are alarms. Therefore, micro sleeps and micro awakenings should be reduced. We should be able to go into deeper sleep because our system doesn't need to stay awake in case there's predator animals around because we have something which is the same as if we're near a fire. If you sleep with crackling of a fire and the uh, snoring of a dog, you actually sleep deeper on average. Yeah, that's the, I've thought about this a lot with dogs slash like our movement landscape. I kind of talked about that in the, in the, in my upcoming book, well, the revised version of the upcoming book that we're going to talk about in your podcast in a minute. But by being around a specific type of person or a specific type of environment or, you know, a dog, for example, you are moved by that creature. And so when a dog comes into the room, if there's, you know, if there's, if there's no stimuli in the room, you're sitting here and you're just kind of like, you know, no stimuli guy, whatever you do. Once the dog comes in, it literally, it invokes these facial gestures. It invokes, you might say like, oh, oh, you're like, you know, <laughs> so you, you have the, the dog walks yeah, in whatever the you do, like, oh my God. You, you, so it, it literally, it causes you to emote. Yeah. And then that creates this cascade of, you know, higher physiological function and tissue repair. And, just and getting out of your own head's a big deal. Yeah, you know, yeah. just removing that neuroticism. You right. see something else. It is dependent on you. Yeah. That dog requires you to get your shit in order because it needs you to look after it. Mm. And it's such a it's such a counter to so many of the problems that I think we have, you know, hyperneuroticism, ambient anxiety of people just not really being able to get out of their own heads. There you go. That thing needs walking. That thing needs its poop picking up. That thing needs feeding. Yep. Look after it. Yep. Love it. Like and it's dependent on you. And not in the way that a cat is. I'm not a cat guy. Not about I don't want an animal that can compete with me for wits. Yeah, right. Great. I want it to love me because its survival is dependent on me. Yeah. That's why. That's why I need a dog. Or dogs are stupider. That's like dogs the peak. Like a border collie, like a smart border collie, I'm probably not going to get. I'm going to, it needs golden retriever is the top end. What do you think that says about you in relationship or in your relationship to relationship? Uh, do you I, think there's anything definitive? Not at all. Cat person, I don't, dog no, person I don't think that there's any anything to extrapolate out. All right. Not at all. <laughs> Moving right along then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think in my experience... <laughs> I find relationships with agreeable people, agreeable girls to be significantly easier. Relationships where the partner is disagreeable brings out the worst disagreeability in me as well. And I think if you were to identify like what's a cat and what's a dog, the dog would be quite agreeable and the cat would be quite disagreeable. So yeah, you want me to. In relation to the, we were talking before in the, in the sauna about intrinsic versus extrinsic focus. And some of the research was from a, a gal called Gabrielle Wolf a lot of the research around like athletics and focusing you know where do you put your focus you put your focus on the ball do you put, put your focus on distribution of weight through your left foot or your right foot and pretty overwhelmingly what they find is that 
we'll be more successful with whatever the endeavor by putting our our attention extrinsic. And so when we're focusing outward into the dog, you know, or into swinging the, the golf ball, you know, as and focusing on getting the ball from here to there, as opposed to getting too wrapped up inside of yourself, it's like your internal experience is is so complex and so complicated that if you put all your attention into there, it just leads to confusion. And when you can put your attention out into a thing, like into that animal, into that relationship, into whatever it is, humans have this interesting way of, it's like a self-organization, you know, where this emergent quality comes up. So that kind of runs counter to what a lot of people believe with regards to goal setting, right? That it should be intrinsic motivation versus extrinsic, mm. that it should be something that you're doing for the sheer joy of it. Now, I'm not sure how these two sort of map on top of each other perfectly, but it makes a lot of sense what you're saying with regards to an individual action that trying to aggregate all of the different component parts to achieve the outcome of hitting the ball toward the goal might be a little bit easier than trying to follow each individual cue as you move the golf club back. Okay, where are my hands? Where's the golf club? Where's it going back to? Where's it coming down to? Where's my foot? Because there's so much going on that it's simpler to just aggregate that toward the outcome. But yeah, it's an interesting one that I need to read more about it. Yeah. What do you consider yourself most expert in? What do you consider yourself? We were talking about this the other day. You're kind of like a polymath, I would say. And you're incredibly dexterous with your ability to, to, to dabble into various different subjects, aggregate, collect information, and be able to represent it you know, on your, on your podcast and in conversation. Uh, what do you feel like is, is your greatest depth? I think that's a nice way of saying nothing in particular. But understanding human nature is probably it if there was like a single thread. There's an interesting pressure to have a specialization in our culture, which isn't inherent to being an effective human. That's mm. like that's a like a modern that's a, that's a new thing. You know, historically, the human is a generalist. It's our our ability to we can hunt, we can gather, we can build shelter, we can read the weather, we can you know we can understand when we're prey and when we're predator. We can we can analyze vast swaths of data effectively, and we can assimilate that and make the correct decision. Mm. Whereas if you're just excessively deep, you know, down some tunnel of being a specialist, uh, it would actually be a great disadvantage in, you know, a more like naturalistic setting. Sorry well, that's been afforded by the fact that we don't need to do everything now. I don't need to be a good hunter because I can outsource my hunting to Walmart yeah. or to Asda or Tesco or something. Yeah. I don't need to be a good prey versus predator because the entire security of our lives has been constrained to the point where no one's really that concerned unless you put yourself into a dangerous situation. Yeah. Yeah, I would say human nature. I've, I've stood on the front door of a lot of nightclubs for 15 years. So I've met about a million people on average-ish over that time. And uh, when you meet that many people, you get to get a real sensation, a real feel for how people work, what they're like, the way they move, what it means, the way that they're looking at you, the way that they speak, and then downstream from that, what sort of a person they are. And that seems to have done me pretty well. Now, there's not many scenarios in which you'll meet a million people, but that's... That's one of them. So yeah, it's human nature, I think. But yeah, also I have a lot of interests, right? Curiosity is kind of the one single value that bleeds all of those together. And you're right that in the modern era, people who decide to focus on a speciality, they will achieve better in a capitalist society, typically, because no one cares about who is the 80th percentile in five different areas, all of which that don't matter versus who is 99.9 percentile in one particular area, that person will get far more gains out of the system than the person that's semi-competent in a bunch of them in most situations. And so what have you gathered about human nature in your, your time? Because I, th I think the difference between you 
and because we've all ultimately been exposed to millions of people and millions of faces and millions of advertisements and millions of just bits of information all the time. We're just getting sprayed with information in the forms of facial gestures and the forms of people maybe lying to us or being honest with us or attraction and all these things. But I think it's really the major difference with someone that's maybe successful in this world would be just one, maybe their, their, their baseline hardware that they've been endowed with, but then also just attention. Paying attention. That's the difference. The difference is if you're actually paying attention at what's what these people are doing. Why are they acting in that way? So we went to a party recently and it was uh, everyone had to take their shoes off at the party. or Everyone decided that they were going to take their shoes off because it was quite nice. But some people decided to take their shoes and their socks off. Some people didn't. And I spent 10 minutes obsessing over why certain <laughs> people had decided to go shoes and socks or why some people had decided to just go shoes. And What's your analysis? Fuck knows. <laughs> There's probably nothing there. There's probably nothing there. And this is why this is why it's probably a really inefficient way to exist, to think constantly about this stuff. But the depth of insight that you get, I find fascinating. And even if it's COD psychology, bro science bullshit, like it's interesting for me to think, okay, so is there something, can I find a trend between all of the people that went socks off as well? Is there, what, what links all of these people together? What is it about the person that wants to take their socks off versus their shoes? Why is that guy, why has he got his shirt tucked in, even though I know he could wear his shirt tucked out? What's he trying to signal with the fact that his shirt's tucked in? Or why does that woman, why is she standing a little bit further apart from her partner when she's taught? What's that mean? And this is just, it just happens now passively, standing on the front door of basically a queue, seeing a queue go into a venue for a long time and being curious about people. You haven't got anything else to do apart from make sure that they don't throw up in the queue before they get into the nightclub because then you can't take the money. So you end up doing that. And I think the yeah natural curiosity plus uh, a little bit of boredom on the front door of nightclubs with a, a clipboard and a guest list waiting for people to go in means you end up doing that. Are you intrinsically engaging some of these body language cues and, and subtle cues that you've picked up over the years um, in conversation with people or like in like dating dynamics? You're like, you know, have you like hacked attraction? No, uh, fuck, that's a good question because pick-up artistry basically tried to repurpose this, right? Pick-up artistry took some of the principles of neuro-linguistic programming and of um, status dynamics and they tried to create a, a blueprint that men, typically men, could follow. Although there is a pink pill, which is the equivalent for women as well. And no, for me, dating has always felt a bit more sacred than that. Dating felt like something that I shouldn't be trying to hack my way through. I think there is a part of me that is relatively traditional romantic deep down. And I didn't like the idea that I could find some sort of cheat code that would give me the simulacrum of looking like someone that's attractive whilst perhaps not being attractive at all. This is one of the things you look at two very prominent guys within the pickup artist slash fratire community, Neil Strauss that wrote the game and uh, Tucker Max, who is the C now the CEO of Scribe Media. So Tucker Max created this genre called fratire which was basically him in college and then afterward writing memoirs about how many girls he fucked and about how many drugs he took and about him throwing up on some lady's back while he's like in bed with her and blah, blah, blah. Like that was his thing. And Neil Strauss wrote like the definitive opening work to pick up artistry. Both of those guys now sound like someone that's transformed into Buddhism. So Tucker Max did five years of daily psychotherapy, then followed him with a huge, huge doses of psychedelic medicine and now just today he's emailed saying that he's leaving scribe media to go full-time into plant medicine and other stuff neil strauss his entire twitter feed sounds like somebody that is awakened and aligned and very mindful i think that those guys what they realized was that they had 
created a world in which people could love them for the games that they played, but not for who they genuinely were. And I think that that causes a, a situation down the line that is pretty suboptimal. Yeah. I don't think that you want to be in that situation. I don't think that you want to be able to bed a woman based on the, the tricks that you know, like, oh, so you, you hold, select, press up, up, down, star, R2, back, back, whatever, and then you get to sleep with her, and then you wake up in the morning remembering that you're still the person that needed to play the game in order for her to find you attractive. I don't think that that's the situation that you want to be in as a guy. So uh, for better or worse, I decided not to get into pick up artistry, although it fascinated me. Learning about it fascinated me, but I've never negged the beater and then twisted the lemon and said a thing about it or like whatever the, the tricks were. Like I, that's never anything that I've applied. How does a person start to become more attentive to subtle cues in their own life within maybe body language of someone else? Because you know, I, I think first, just paying attention, you know, sometimes you talk to somebody and it's like too much eye contact, for example. There's like too much attention, bro. <laughs> like we're good. Like a little less attention. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not just like, I think, pouring, you know, attention all over the place, just mm -hmm. spraying attention. I think it's also understanding, you know, when, where, and how, you know, like how does a person become more effective with their attention and actually picking up cues that matter versus maybe leaving the noise behind? Yeah, well, that's experience. I would say on average, most people are paying far less attention than they need to. So the first thing to do would actually genuinely be interested in what the person across from you, right. and this isn't for everyone. Also, I don't think that it's optimal. It's definitely not optimal for me to spend 10 minutes of my night at a party thinking about the difference between barefoot and socks. Like it isn't. So if this isn't your proclivity, then, you know, maybe just add in a little bit of attention and that'll get you far enough. But if you enjoy it and if you think, right, I really, really, it fascinates me to work out why someone does the things that they do. I think it's just evolution of, of experience. Over time, I've realized what I need to pay attention to and what I don't. And listening, genuinely being curious about what the other person's doing or what they have to say, entering the frame of a conversation or an interaction with someone, presuming that they have something that they can teach you, even if they don't mean to, yeah. even if they don't want to, they have something that you can learn from them. Those are some good heuristics. Yeah, I was watching a thing with Jim Carrey recently. He was saying something along the lines of in life, you know, we have all these experiences, you know, and, and images that flash by, but they could also be perceived as, as symbols, you know, with suggest you know a, a deeper meaning it's an interesting way to to perceive life through of every interaction that we have it's really just whatever story you want to you want to paint upon it so you can have an interaction with a homeless person you know and they could make some gesture or say something or your girlfriend could break up with you or you could almost you could get water splashed when you buy a car and it's really it's your it's on your own onus to determine your reaction to that and your relationship to that experience. And it's such an interesting thing how, like I've felt before, when I see someone that is in a really bad way, you know, say a, like a drug addict on the street or something like that, I see myself in that person very easily. And same thing if I see somebody in a really good way. You know, but it, I think it's the real difference is like the stories that we're running. If we can come into realize that we're the scribe of our stories, you know, and be able to like take the pen back, I think life can become very interesting. But I think most of us are kind of more in a place of like life is happening to us. And we're in that like victimized type state. I, d I would doubt that most of the people listening to this podcast are like that. I don't think based on what I know about my friends and the people that I choose to hang around with and what they consume, I don't think. So I think that you're right if you were to take an aggregate of the entire population. But I think most people that are listening, they know, look, I can, I have ownership and I have control. I control the frame. I control, I control the, the context. 
perfect example of this is when you finish a workout in the gym, like one of the many that you've made me do since I've been out here in Austin, yep. and you're sweating and everything hurts and you're panting for breath and you're kind of hot and maybe you want to lie down. That's the sensation that you're in the gym to find. That's, that is precisely why you're there because it's a signal to you that you're making progress. You know that because you're doing that, that is the exact outcome that you were there for. Now let's flip that situation. Imagine that that happened spontaneously as you were sat in traffic. You're now out of breath, your heart's going at 175 BPM, you're sweating, you can't catch it, you don't know what's going on. Okay, so tell me, what's the difference between those two situations? Yeah. Purely the framing. That's all that there is. The reason why that situation has occurred and what it means to you that that's happened. So yeah. You get to control the frame. That's not to say that there aren't objectively better and worse situations to be in. Of course there are. But your framing is an incredibly powerful tool and you get to use that as you wish. Have you felt out of control in your own life? No, not really. I'm very good at control. Very, very good at control. I've been angry, like genuinely angry, probably three times in my entire life. Huh. Now, I don't know whether that's healthy or not, but by hook or by crook, that's the way that I've ended up. What was your childhood like? I'm not going to like intentionally psychoanalyze you, but... I think we all have protective mechanisms of sorts. You know, some for some people it's like muscles. That was one that the, a path that I went down. And so I, I, you know, in my earlier childhood, I think I got some certain signals that maybe some things were unsafe. And so my protective mechanism or response to that was packing on a bunch of muscles, getting yeah, really big. obsessed with bodybuilding. And so like making my, you know, my cells bigger, you know, making my coating around my my body bigger. I wonder with you. You've done a really good job with developing your intellect. I wonder if that, has that ever been like a, any type of protective mechanism for you or not so much, you think? Uh, yeah, so I've thought a lot about this. Uh, again, like I can't switch off the analysis for myself as well as for other people. Yeah. So the reason that I think curiosity is one of the things that I rely on, and this, this may resonate with a lot of the people that are listening because it was a real surprise and like a, a genuine shock to me when I learned it, that um, if you struggle to find social acceptance as a child, if you struggle to find belonging and a place in a group, mm. sometimes in later life, you can go out of your way to make yourself extra useful in an attempt to try and even those scales again. Yeah. To say, and, and subtext of that is, I am not worthy of social cohesion and love as a friend and belonging unless I bring something to the table that me just as me isn't enough. Now, this is not at the front of my brain, and I might be wrong, but it, it, it would make a little bit, it would make a good chunk of sense to me, I think. And it's definitely how I manifest. Now, I try and genuinely, in every interaction I'm speaking to somebody for a long time, I've wanted to try and let them leave the conversation and me, you know, in a better place. And it's not purely from a beautiful, holistic, like, let's just make the world good, bro situation. It's also me wanting to be accepted. It's me wanting to make them want to want me. Mm. So only child bullied like pretty heavily throughout all of school, didn't really feel like I belonged. And then very quickly when I got to university, found myself in a position where I was the guy that could get people into all the nightclubs because it was my company. Very quickly, I'd gone from being someone that wasn't in social networks to someone who manipulated them to make money off them. And people needed me in order to be a part of the cool kids club now. So I still wasn't on the inside of them, but this time I was like controlling the frame. And there was something very powerful, again, as an advantage to the people that are outsiders looking in, although you may not feel like you're able to be on the inside, which sucks, you're also able to manipulate and play with those social networks more easily because you have the perspective of being an outsider. I can see if it comes up, if it's to do with coming up with brands, let's say for, for a club night, which is basically running a club night is people in a room getting drunk to music. That 
dress it up however you want. That's all that's happening. All that anyone's bothered about is the branding. But if you see trends because you're on the outside looking in, you can manipulate those trends more easily. You can come up with a brand that you know will work for that group and that group and that group. And you know, they'll work together quite nicely because you've never been a part of those groups. So yeah, rolling it forward, going to the gym was definitely a part of that. You know, being bullied when I was younger, natural, like just trying to become big and strong and feel like you're worthy physically. The curiosity thing, I think was just a desire to be understood and to understand other people. I used to look at a lot when I was at school at similar things to this, like maybe it's the way that they wear their tie. Because in the UK, we have school uniform. Maybe it's the way because I don't wear my tie that way. And maybe if I wore my tie that way, then it, it would mean that I'd be like one step closer to being accepted. So there was a an evolution of like effectiveness, me just trying to work out, okay, how do you human dot doc, like version 1.0, like just trying to write that out and trying to come up with a solution to it. Uh, because I think I, I naturalistically I struggled with that. And then you realize over time that, look, if you didn't get on with people that were in your school, then fuck them. Like, I, I don't need to speak to any of the people that I was at school at because the sort of school that I went to is not, they're not leading the sort of life that I do or I would want to now. And they're, they're great people. I'm sure that they're doing fine. But like, it wasn't a me problem being in that situation. I was a, you know, a 13 year old kid who's an only child, like, why would you presume that the onus is on you? And this was something that I haven't done a, a huge amount of psychedelic medicine, but uh, during one ceremony that I have done, I saw me as a 12, 13 year old kid on the floor and realized that he was due a lot of sympathy and empathy. And if I could go back, if that kid was here now with me, if that, if that was my younger brother, or if that was someone else's child, or if that was just a kid on the street, I'd go over and I would give them all of the empathy that I could because they didn't mean to not be popular. They didn't want to be ostracized and alone and lonely as an only child who also didn't have friends at school. They didn't want that. So like learning to have that self-compassion was, yeah, that was quite a, an important realization. Yeah, I feel like I can only speak for myself, but I, I, I would imagine it would resonate with a good chunk of the population. I think the elephant in a lot of rooms or a lot of people's just lives in general is, is feeling like an outsider. You know, like, I don't know, me in my own life, I, I go through very similar things of like, I kind of feel like the outside guy, you know, and I'm, I'm hunting for my value to be able to contribute to the room, you know, and, and leading from that place, it kind of like tarnishes the, the gifts that we bring in a way. And How do you mean? Coming from a place of, it's like a sensation of being loved unconditionally, you know, whether you brought me a new intellectual gift or whether you taught me something new or you know whatever the thing is it's just like no like i, I love you regardless yep. like you don't need to, to bring anything like you're on the table you're safe you don't need to have this 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 clenching that you might be removed from the table if you don't bring the effective offerings and i've felt that way in myself of like i feel like i've like I have moments of looking back at little boy Aaron. And when I do, especially during like breath work ceremonies and things like that, doing holotropic breathing and things of the sort, I'll have this, this moment of looking back at that boy and I'll usually like break down and like cry. And it's like, it's one of love, but it's like one of acceptance, you know? And it's, it's, it's like a, uh, just that, that boy has worked so hard to be accepted. And so I think that there's deep medicine in that like coming to the point where it's where it's you know you're accepted without a trade yeah yeah and i you know that's what certainly for me it took me a long time to realize there's always been something in the frame there's always been whether it was running a club night or now you know having some intellectual gift or some insight about the world or some cool anecdote or story or i know the name of that cognitive bias or i know the name of that particular guy from history or whatever it might be yeah and just being like look it's not that your belonging to this group isn't contingent on you 
fucking balancing the accounts so that that person somehow profits from this interaction. <laughs> right. You know, that's not the way that it should be. You should just be enough. You should be here now and be enough. Yeah, it's it's strange, man. It's strange, but there's layers to this. And on balance, I wouldn't swap it for anything else. Like the gift of yeah. the gift of having attention and being able to deploy it. Like I'd like fine. You know, maybe having a, a, a less shitty time at school would have been good or whatever, but like I can't change that now. And these are the things, this is sort of the cards that we've been dealt and I'm pretty happy with them. Like the wounded healer. Like it's through your own wounding or your own maybe subjective dysfunctions that allows you to to do the work to be able to help other people and it's just going through your own hero's journey of arriving to the other end being resourced enough to now be a support to other people and say ah like i know that i know what you're doing i see that you know and and but you need to go through that that fire in order to be able to arrive to a point to actually have something more deep and, and meaningful to offer to the tribe like it is the the turmoil and the stress that a person is going through that is in fact their gift that they can return and be able to help other people also walk through their own fires. My buddy is a power lifter and he says, I never want to learn how to bench from the guy that's got short arms. And yeah, right. his right. point is like, look, I want to, I want to learn from the person that's got all of the fucking disfigurements and all of the inappropriateness <laughs> that they can. You know, I want to learn from the guy that's six foot four and all limbs on how to be a power lifter yeah. because he's the one that's had to go through it. And, um, yeah, this this is something else that I've really, really realized that if you do suffer with a, a, a difficulty or a trauma or, or, or some sort of challenge or some sort of awful experience, like the best way to transcend that is to use your experience to help other people to get through that as well. Like, and this, you know, as someone who maybe primarily is a teacher now, like yourself might be like obvious, but to me, this is fucking mind blowing realization that something bad happens to you and you get through it and then you look back and you think, I've got some lessons from this. I'm going to help some other people who might suffer with this as well to get through it. And you point at the situation and you say, you didn't get me and you're not going to fucking get them either. And I'm going to help them to get through it as well. Man, that's, that's power. Like that's so powerful. And transcending suffering through helping other people to expedite success and avoid pitfalls is like fucking, it's an elixir. Mm. Because it it means that it means that you end up going through something bad and the world becomes a better place because of it. Like that's, that was something that specifically through my podcast, Modern Wisdom, that's been the first time that I've ever served the world in that sort of a way. It's like taking a drink when you didn't know that you were thirsty. That's how it felt. Like, wow, I've been looking for this. I've been looking for a way to serve the world, to, to genuinely add something that I felt like was, was needed and made me feel like I was contributing in a meaningful manner. And now I do it. It's cool. Yeah. And then the irony of the whole thing of leading with these these kind of transactional relationships, you know, I like how you said that, like keeping keeping everything balanced. How'd you call it? Keeping the checks and balances. What yep. did you? Yeah, yep. something like that. Yeah. As long as you're occupying relationships in that manner, people, you're always guarded from people ever actually letting anyone in. You know, and so you're actually creating a block by leading into the relationship with that mindset. Yep. Well, you set the tone in that way, and people. Can recognize it yeah and it becomes this transactional thing and sometimes it takes six months to get through those deeper layers with somebody sometimes it takes six seconds sometimes it's you just you're not going to with that person but i think the greatest gift that we can offer each other and it feels like you and i are kind of doing this right now is just that just authenticity you know and, and vulnerability and like oh like i feel fucking terrified right now like oh wow like yeah i feel that way sometimes i don't usually talk about it 
you know, or I feel whatever the thing is, I feel insecure right now, or I feel really happy, whatever the thing, you don't, it doesn't need to be like things that are, you know, inherently uncomfortable. But by leading with that, I think that we're not really taught that because we come from more of a kind of like a mechanistic mindset, you know? How do you mean? Uh, you know, a gift is this, this blue container, coconut water, like gift, you know, but so this is very quantifiable, you know, it's, it's 33.8 fluid ounces, you know, it cost $2 and 85 cents. You know, there's, there's, it's very easy to put that in the, in the checks and balances. Mm. Um, but a feeling, you know, that's like, it's like, where is the feeling, you know, and that's Charles Bukowski has a, a bit about that. He talks about the, the free soul, you know, and the free soul, it's like, doesn't have a specific shape or sound or anything that's quantifiable so much but when you're around a free soul you know it like it's a feeling you know and i think that that's something that do you have people in your life like that yeah yeah so i think the number one personality trait in the 21st century is probably curiosity mm. but shortly after that it would be high agency so i've got a thought experiment for how you can work out the most high agency person in your life so we'll do it now mm. so imagine that you are in a south american jail You've been put there through some awful administrative mishap, or maybe you've gained yourself some very powerful enemy that's managed to put you there. And you're there, and you've got 24 hours to get out before you get moved somewhere where no one's going to be able to find you. You get one phone call. Who do you ring? Me? How long can I talk to the person? You can speak to them for as long as you want. You've got 24 hours. You need to ring this person, and they're, they're going to be the person that's going to try and coordinate whatever the fuck to break you out of there. <sighs> I might call Aubrey. Marcus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So think about the sort of characteristics that that person's got they're going to be resourceful they're not going to need anybody else to tell them how to or what to do they're going to be able to think laterally they're going to be able to overcome difficult decisions they got all of this stuff right high agency yep. high agency behavior they're going to take ownership for the problem they're going to have the responsibility to be able to get past it they're going to be able to recruit other people to get on board with whatever it is that they want to do like that's power and that is if i'm to look at most of my friends and even the people that i've resonated with since i've been here in austin you know if i try and look at all of the different people that i've become friends with over the last four weeks since i've been here every single one of them is high agency all mm. of them no one's low agency at all mm. and it's just like it's like gravity you just end up going toward those people i think low agency people attract low agency people because a high agency person around a low agency person reminds them that they haven't taken responsibility for the things that are happening in their life because you see this person who gets some huge set, gets into a car wreck or something like that, right? Or snaps their Achilles or does whatever. And then it doesn't hold them back. They just move around that problem. And it throws into harsh contrast just how much you are not taking control of your own problems, how low your agency is because of how high that person's agency is. But that's like the, the commonality that I've found with people in Austin. They're like a lot of very, very, very high agency people here wanted to share something that has been supportive for my cognitive health I've been utilizing for the last couple of months and been really digging it. It is Qualia's Mind, which is a nootropic supplement that I absolutely love. What's great about nootropics is it's not just like caffeine or something that kind of has an up and then a down that you have, kind of have to pay for. Uh, nootropics are actually supportive for your long-term neurological development. So they support in neuronal synaptic formation, support supports in acetylcholine signaling and also supports in brain mitochondrial function. 
I really dig quality of mine because I actually understand the ingredients on the back and uh, I can truly feel a difference after using this stuff, which is a really cool sensation. So as you guys can expect, we have a discount for you guys and also a very special discount because you get 50% off if you're a first time purchaser of quality of mind. Plus if you utilize our code, you get 15%, so it's 65% off, which is pretty darn ridiculous. You just jump over to neurohacker.com forward slash qualia dash mind. Neurohacker is spelled N-U-E-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R.com forward slash qualia. Qualia is spelled Q-U-A-L-I-A dash M-I-N-D. That's neurohacker.com forward slash qualia dash mind. You get yourself 15% off using coupon code Aaron, spelled A-A-R-O-N. And then you also get 50% off if you're a first time user I also want to thank BioOptimizers for supporting this podcast and supporting my gut health. Did you know that one of the biggest ways you can boost your immunity is by supporting your gut health? It's true. In fact, 70% of your immune system is in your gut. Jonathan Jacobs, an MD and professor at UCLA, says the microbiome and the immune system are critically intertwined. This means that if you're eating the wrong things, your immune system will suffer. But if you eat the right things, your immune system will get stronger. I'm excited to share a product that I've been digging from BioOptimizers called Biome Break. Breakthrough. It contains powerful probiotics and prebiotics, as well as a one-of-a-kind ingredient called IGY Max. IGY Max is a patented egg-based protein that enhances gut health, reverses damage caused by antibiotics, and even helps with immunity threats. I am not overstating it. I say IGY Max is one of the most powerful immune system nutrients that you could possibly put into your body, and you are getting this stuff with Biome Breakthrough. So if you're going to get yourselves a discount, you can go to Biome breakthrough.com forward slash align use align 10 code to receive 10% off of your order they have a 100% money back guarantee for one year if you do not love this stuff you do not notice a difference in the way that you feel a boost in joie de vivre a boost in your immune function if you have had issues with antibiotics this would be a really important thing um, if you do not notice a change i want you to get your money back i want you to try the stuff and if you're not totally happy then leverage that money back guarantee so biome breakthrough through.com forward slash align to get 10% off. I think this stuff is going to improve your biome. Like I said, if it doesn't, then you got nothing to lose. That's it. That's all. Biomebreakthrough.com forward slash align. 10% off. Bam. I want to keep going into your upbringing. Um, so you feel like you cultivated this, this kind of precocious, it seems, skill of intellect and interest and attention do you and you feel like that was a product of being bullied you think that was a product of like what well, where did the, where, did, where the do you outside. think the root of that came just feeling like generally feeling like an outsider yes. and did you when did you come to terms with that being able to look back and kind of have the resources or awareness to be able to, to start to examine yourself as opposed to just like being in the chaos of being the outsider or being bullied man probably only within the last four years five four or five years huh. So for a long time throughout my 20s running this nightclub business, and a lot of young guys specifically, but also girls may may resonate with this, that you start a business when you're young, and maybe that's the first thing that you're ever really good at. So you start to attach your sense of identity to the business, and you start to think, oh, well, that's me. Yeah. But the problem is that between the age of whatever, like 18 and 25, those formative years really do help you to solidify, okay, what's my value in this world? What are the things that I care about? What are the sort of people I want to be around? What, what do I want to bring to this world? And by shortcutting that and just finding, oh, well, it's commercial success. That's what I'm aiming for. You give yourself a very easy answer. You give yourself an answer that society is going to accept because you go, oh, you're the businessman guy. You're the guy that, that runs the company, right? You're the 
make the money run the front door of the nightclub thing. And that basically sort of postponed me doing too much self-work until I got a little bit older. And then I did some reality TV. I got a blue tick on Twitter and free charcoal toothpaste and stuff like that. And uh, then I came off the back of that and I was like, look, is this really all that I've got to add to the world? Like getting people drunk in nightclubs and, and taking my top off and wearing small swim shorts on a national TV show. Like, is that is this really the pinnacle? And that's not to say, like, there is a, a market for that. And there are people that are purpose built for that, but that wasn't me. So I needed to work out, okay, what the fuck's going on? And that was do a ton of self-work, start my podcast, crushing amounts of mindful content. You know, at the time it was people like Sam Harris and Alain de Botton from the School of Life and Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan. And eventually you get to a place where you go, right, I've, I've just consumed so much of this that I can't not take in the message. And I'm sure that there would have been a much more uh, organized way of creating a beautiful syllabus of, of things to go through, but I just relied on consuming terrifying amounts of it and hoping for the best. And I think one of the most attractive qualities of someone like you had mentioned, people that you've run to around here having that sense of agency i think that that's one of the most attractive qualities when you find someone kind of like the bukowski thing like the free soul finding someone that's just living a life on purpose you know and it seems like wow you're like you are just driven like you're you're lit up you're excited you know and it's like you're joseph campbell you're, you're following your bliss but i think again as far as statistics go i don't know i wonder what the percentage of people that actually feel like they have a definitive purpose are and then there's this external pressure from things like YouTube channels and inspirational books and, and such that like you need to find your purpose. And then it puts probably many people into this double bind situation where, you know, now I feel bad on myself because I don't know what my purpose is. I'm supposed to have a purpose. And then they might adopt that of the YouTube creator or whoever their right. favorite person online is in any case. So they're still not living their own, but they're living this simulacrum of somebody else's, yeah. their version of whatever. Yeah, I Michael Malice, my buddy, the, the anarchist dude, he says that, a lot of people in the modern era compete on compliance. So they literally compete on who can be the most compliant to the group. And that's the opposite of the sort of world that I want to be in. Mm. Like, I don't want to be in the world where I'm competing based on compliance. I want to compete based on competence. Mm. I want to compete based on what I can do well, not based on what everybody else wants me to do well. Because I did that. I tried to play that game for a long time. Like, if there's one lesson that you can get out of being bullied, it's that if you try and play the bully's game, like, it's just not going to work. Yeah. Like it's not, they're not bullying you because you're not playing their game. They're bullying you because they're scared of what it is that you are or could be or they're worried about that so yeah avoiding that at all costs i think is a pretty good solution do you feel like your life is on purpose in the moment do you feel like yeah 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 there's there's very very few things that aren't deliberate very very few things when did you not feel that way i can't remember now okay. i can't remember it was a, it would have been probably before i was 27 28 and i did that reality tv thing and then came off and was like look there's something up here like i thought i was this big name on campus party boy i'm not anymore and maybe other people will have this right maybe someone will go through an experience in their life where it's like an inflection point. All of this stuff's crescendoed up to a particular moment. And they go, look, like, I'm just, I'm not where I thought I was supposed to be. I'm not the person that I thought I was supposed to be. I feel like I'm built for not more, but just different. Like, I feel like I'm built for something else than what I'm doing. Yeah. And again, this is the beautiful advantage of not, not I'm just saying going on Love Island was a fucking trauma, but you know, the advantage of having something symbolic, right? Or ritualistic where you go, okay, this is a flag in the ground. COVID may have been this for a lot of people. You know, that may have been one of the things where they go, fuck, like I really realized when I had to spend four months off work and then was told that I now have to go back to work that I really, really don't want to be in this industry anymore. Yeah. Because it was such an important, powerful, ritualistic moment, symbolic, right? And it just happened that I had a different one. I'm kind of like thinking back into the, the whole idea of relationship dynamics and 
I think that within like the the pickup artist world, you know, you get the different social dynamic cues, or you might be suggested to to neg, like you mentioned, or there's certain certain devices that a person could use to kind of like hack someone else's sovereignty. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Way, precisely. In, in, in yeah, yeah. 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 But I think that that what I'm attempting to kind of stumble around is I think the most attractive quality is authenticity and. But how do you know what you don't know? Like life, I think, is a process of discovering your own authenticity. And so your authenticity right now, you may look back at in five years and be like, oh, my God, I was fucking lost. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and we always want to put There's up. layers to it, man. We always want to put up the front that like, oh, yeah, I've got my shit together right now. I mean, fucking look at me. You know, well, what's like, the, alter- the alternative <laughs> is to say I haven't got a fucking clue and just that that's it for the rest of time. Yeah, man. I think about this a lot. I think about this a lot, especially with dating. I know here's an interesting question for you. Is it more dangerous to fall in love with someone that's got high agency and a growth mindset than someone that's low agency? No, I think it's safer. Because they're gonna, they're gonna be. I think relationship ultimately is reflection, among other things, you know. And and by being in a relationship with someone who does have higher agency, I think that's it will be more painful to be with that person, perhaps. How do you mean? It's gonna be, I think, like a heavier lift. You're gonna have to. There's gonna be. There's gonna be a greater amount of hopefully hermetic stress. Hermetic stress being like a workout that makes you stronger, uh, where someone else would just kind of. You're gonna be challenged more. Oh yeah, yeah, and and then if you're not available for that challenge you don't you know you don't want to lift that that barbell um then you'll probably avoid that deflect and find someone that will just let you be your own whatever your set point is now you'll just kind of find someone to to accept that which then it's the balance of accepting where you are now and also presenting the opportunity to dig deeper yeah and that's what relationship is and that that is the the subtle undercurrents of the checks and balances in any relationship because i think that we can get kind of mired or lost in the idea of like okay i just be like that is my value i just be and that's like a lot of like the new age kind of kind of jargon and it's like okay yes just just be but it's also i i need you to challenge me to a certain degree you know and i need you to love me to a certain degree and i need you to you know it's it's just being is more complex than just kind of like laying there like a slug mm-hmm. you know and so i don't have a specific question in relation to that Exactly. Dude, I think that, uh, well, it depends. It depends on how you see high agency versus low agency partners. Yeah, I can see a potential danger that the high agency person, as you said there, is in five years time, they could be a completely different person. And if you're not prepared to grow with them, you're fucked. Right. Like that. that's it, they're gone. Yeah. So yeah, I think that you're right. I think what you mean is, is correct, that it would maybe be more dangerous to be that there's a, a higher uh, hormesis stressor yeah. incoming with the person who's high agency because they're going to, just because they are this person now doesn't prove that they're going to be that person in future. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one, man. The whole, the, the modern dating economy to me is, uh, it's probably the most fascinating thing that I've learned about over the last couple of years. Yeah. It blows my mind sort of where dating is going at the moment, what it means to have a world where women and men can earn the same, they can be educated the same, they can gain status the same, where you have sexual liberation with birth control, where you have sex before marriage being completely like accepted and in a lot of places even encouraged. Like it's it's a very interesting time to observe the dating market. Like it's I'm not convinced that it's all good for civilization overall, but it's really interesting. Agency is also maybe relative to to we have different skill sets, you know, so someone might have high agency and maybe finances, but maybe low agency and emotional intelligence. Correct. You know, so I think it's like within that, it's like, okay, we'll define what it is we, we mean exactly with that. But I'd be interested for you to share, what was the 80-20, the Pareto's 
principle in relation in relation to yeah the, the tinder thing we can you yeah can you so share that? on tinder the statistics show that the bottom 80 percent of men are competing for the bottom 20 percent of women and the top 80 percent of women are competing for the top 20 percent of men so this effect is called hypergamy and it is the tendency for women to date across and above so Dominance hierarchies, i.e. how statusful, how much resources you have, how well-known you are, how good-looking you are. Like an aggregate of your value overall, right? Um, women date across and above. Men date across and below. And it's why you get these situations where the top 80% of women compete for the top 20% of men. So that's quite an unfortunate situation to be in. If you say, okay, if you're not an 8 out of 10 man or above, you are competing with 80% of men for the bottom 20% of women. But it's also not a tremendously good situation for women either because you now are competing for every one man that you want. There's four other women that are trying to get him. And you could be toward the bottom end of your status distribution and you could be struggling as well. So it's not a good situation as you roll the clock forward. Women, there will be two women for every one man completing a US college degree by 2030. Around about 50% of women say that they would not get into a relationship with a man who is less educated than them. Some stats from Pew Research at the moment say that between the ages of 21 and 29, women on average earn £1,111 more than their male counterparts. 78% of women say that they wouldn't get into a relationship with a man who earns less than them. Now, this can sound quite autistic and reductionist, but the point is that on average, women want to date a man who is better educated, earning more with more status and taller. But the taller thing we we can't really do too much about. Now, I think that you can probably get away with getting at least two, but ideally three of those correct. So if you're a short guy who's well-educated, high status, and earns a good bit, you can probably get away with dating a taller woman. She'll probably be okay with that. Or any other combination of those right. that you want. The problem comes when women are now out-earning and out-educating men on average. You have this ever-increasing group of high-performing women competing for an ever-decreasing group of ultra-high-performing turbochads at the top that just get to fuck everything that they want in sight. And you have a big group of sexless men out of no choice of their own and a big group of chasing women who are trying to track down turbochad. And it struggles. And no one has a solution to this. Mm. No one has a solution to this. And this is going to be, as far as I can see, one of the biggest problems that we see over the next 20 or 30 years. Do you think that that's the nature of mammals, of humans? Do you think that's like a cultural shift? Is that like a... Hypergamy? Yeah. Uh, it's embedded, man. It's it's completely embedded. Like you want, as a female, you want to be with the man who has the most status and the most resources because he is able to afford you the most protection. He gives you the best opportunity for your children to grow up in a safe environment. Now, again, we've changed status previously as being whatever the guy that had the biggest cave or the guy that was the best hunter, perhaps. And now we look at, you use a, a different proxy for that. You would use the man that has the most creativity, you know, the one that's the best musician. This musician's not going to help me catch food. Well, no, yeah, but you understand that his capacity in music is going to help him get status and resources down the line, right. so on and so forth. It's just the way that we're wired. And women didn't ask for a hypergamous nature. And this is everything that I'm saying is on average, there are many women who are outliers to this, just as there are many men. There are many men who would happily get into a relationship with a woman that earns more than him. But on average, most men don't want that. And most women don't want to get into a relationship with a man who earns less than them. There is a 50% increase in the use of erectile dysfunction medication amongst men who are in relationships with women that earn more than them. You're twice as likely for your marriage to end in divorce if you're in a relationship with a woman who earns more than the man. Mm. 
So all of these combine to just make a, a bit of a, a difficult situation. And the solution is, there, there is no solution. You're not going to be able to hold women back. And who would want to? They've only just managed to get equality after, you know, several hundred generations of trying to get it. They've only just managed to get equality to be able to educate and earn themselves to the place that they want. Now saying, actually, girls, it might not be in your best interests for you to be as educated as your male counterparts, because it means that there is an ever-increasing group of you and an ever-decreasing group of them, and you're never going to find a man that you're fundamentally attracted to. That's not going to work. One thing that you could do is you could say, well, why don't we put marriage and family life back on a pedestal? Why wouldn't we say that, you know, the traditional values of encouraging someone to genuinely want to start a family and contribute to their community. That's something that would be a potential solution to this. But in a very casual sex world that is encouraging boss bitches to clap back and don't settle for less, yep. the culture is reinforcing a damaging stereotype for women. And you are seeing, I think that the highest use of antidepressants amongst women is whether it, amongst any group is white women between the ages of 31 and 39. And that's women who've hit the wall and realized that they're not going to get a family. <laughs> but you also have between 2008 and 2018, the number of men under the age of 30 who said that they hadn't had sex in the last year tripled. So both genders are suffering with this. Both genders are not having as much sex. They're not having as much intimacy and they're not starting families. I don't know what to do about that. <laughs> familiar with Robert Sapolsky and that I think he was working with, might have been chimps, some type of primate. I think it was chimps. And they, typically, there was like the the alpha males that would get all the food, all mm -hmm. of the sex. And that was just kind of the pattern throughout generation to generation. If it was chimps, it could have been some other type of primate. But they would all raid this dumpster out the back of you know restaurant. And at one point, so the, the alphas would get the food first. Mm -hmm. And at one point, there was a bunch of salmonella in the meat. <laughs> and so literally... All of the alphas got knocked off of the whole situation. So alphas are dead. Yep. And now all of these beta males yep. were they were like now they were like the the the, the leading creatures. And what they what he found with that, have you heard this? Do you no, hear about this? No, no, no. Oh, no, this is this would be a really interesting thing. And this would continue generate I, I don't know how many generations, but it was multi-generational where suddenly the dynamics of being like the biggest, angriest, gnarliest alpha male that just takes everything, that was suddenly shunned Abandoned. from yeah. culture. And so if you started to be that, then the tribe would get together. It's like, no, bud, that's not how we operate. Oh, so they they remembered the tyrant of the alpha previously yeah, they and then turned it. on him. Yeah. And so, well, so, yeah, exactly. If, if, if a tyrant would start to manifest or start to pop yep. up, yep. the culture as a whole was like, no, we don't do that anymore. And it's an interesting. We, I mean, we're very similar genetically to bonobos, you know, which bonobos solve most of their issues through group sex. Group sex, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you I see think, the I story think... about how female bonobos had fashioned themselves dildos out of folded up buckets. <laughs> no. Fucking innovative little monkeys, man. But it's interesting. I mean, I feel like we all have like the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of thing. We all have like two sides to us, you know, and it's like we have the bonobo side and we have the chimpanzee side. Yes. And one probably isn't more right or wrong. You know, they just go in different directions. And it's an interesting thing to see now how culture, you know, it's like a pendulum and it shifts. Yep. And presently, it seems like the whole, I don't know if feminism is the right term, but like, however you said, boss babes clapping back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's like, cool, the pendulum's shifting and then that will have an effect, For sure. you know, that we're well, going to I mean, see in the so coming, the, the, coming the time. The problem that we have here is that it's a masculine frame being forced on women. Like feminism, like genuine femininity 
is quite rarely celebrated. And if I was if I was a, a girl growing up today and I was 18 and I wanted, like I really, really knew that I wanted a family. My mum was a great mum. My grandmother was a great grandmother. I know that that's really, really what I want to do. But all of society is telling me, well, no, because you need to go out and you need to start a career and you need to earn the job and do all the rest of it. And this isn't me saying that women can't go and do that and be happy and start a family or any of that. Yep. My point is that femininity is being given a second rate judgment now, sure. as far as I can see. And both sides are being given the same solution. You know, men are being told, get over your last girlfriend by get under your next one. There's plenty more fish in the sea, mate. She didn't deserve you any case. And women are being told, yeah, don't settle for less, be a boss bitch, clap back. Uh, hang on, like are, are both groups being told the same fucking solution to this, that they're just supposed to not deal with hard problems in a relationship, that they're not going to try and get past things, that there's so many more fish in the sea because of an international dating market that's now being enabled by Tinder and Instagram that you can just always find somebody else. Like, in whose worlds do we think that this is going to be a successful outcome? Yeah. Like, if you want to raise children, you want to have two parents in the household. If you want to raise children, you want those parents to be around for a little while. And at the first sign of there being something difficult, you deciding that you're going to jump on Tinder or just leave the relationship because there's more fish in the sea, mate. It's just, it doesn't work. And then, yeah, like I say, we've got this huge underclass of, of sexless men that one of the things that you get when a man gets into a relationship is his testosterone levels drop and then his testosterone levels drop again when he has children. Yeah. And this is not just the testosterone, but it's a... Evolutionary adaptation? Yeah, but it's it's a calming dynamic, Yeah. right? So it, it reminds him... him a better Yeah, you're, you're fucking connected to the community, yeah. okay? Right, there's there's more than just you and your fists and you yep. angst. Like there's there's a little bit more that you've got going on, and you need to treat your power and your place in this community with just respect. And starting a family is part of that. Without that control mechanism, you know, we've already seen in the UK there's been some uh, incel killings. You had Elliot Roger, who was a, a, a mass shooter in the US. We recently had a guy in Plymouth that was a um, how would you say ancillary. Uh, associated with some incel groups, involuntary celibates, which is the, the um, name that's been given to these this underclass of sexless men. That, if what you really, really do not want in a civilization, a large swath of men that can't get into relationships full of testosterone roaming the streets. Like that is an ugly, ugly situation for people to, for, for any civilization to have. Whilst you still don't have women that are getting into relationships either. They're still lonely. Again, I keep saying it. I just don't know what the solution is to this. It seems like it's... The common narrative is that there's a denial of the feminine from men, you know, like with like the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. But I think that you could see, at least in like fitness culture, it seems like there's there you could suggest that there's a, a denial of the feminine from women as well. You know, from like having a soft, supple, nurturing, kind, caring, tender body is like ugh. <laughs> I don't want any of that. <laughs> I want, you know, unhealthy levels of adipose. Like it's got to be, you know, point point five or below. You know, I shouldn't be menstruating. I got to get be in like the what is it called? Amenorrheas when you're not menstruating. You know, like that's the just chiseled abs. You're like that perfect toned warrior princess body. You know, that's like yes, that that's you know one archetype of a female that, that could exist. But I think that that value of a mother is like so invaluable. If the perpetuation of the human species is relevant, like that it's matters for that, but also just the, the general mental, emotional, physical, cultural well-being of the whole. You know, like we need 
both sides of the coin, masculine and feminine. And, you know, if females are denying their own feminine. Or know, denying it of each other. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, you know, I can't. And that's me being, you know, white, cisgendered. Precisely. That's exactly what I was about saying. to say. So, yeah. but, so I, this is just making a suggestion. And me putting in the lens of like a fitness, like through the lens of, of fitness, which is also another kind of separation. But. I very rarely see, you know, just look at meme culture, man. Look at the stuff that you see on Instagram posted by, you know, popular, pretty little thing, you know, sort of girl fashion brands or whatever, which are usually a pretty good synthesis for what young girls are thinking in any case, because yeah. they need to brand themselves with the voice of the young girls that they're trying to speak to. I very rarely see like, quote unquote, embrace the feminine type content on there always seems to be to do with that there's an inherently masculine frame coming into it. And I don't think that that's true. I think that there's a lot of guys that I know that could do with taking a bit of fucking feminine on as well. For sure. Like, the, the you know, both sides. In fact, that's a really good point that I've never even thought of before. And one of the things that we're complaining about at the moment, especially to do with men's mental health, is the inability of men to open up, the inability of men to show vulnerability, to say when they need help. I think it's the number one killer of men under 30 suicide. Well, okay, so... Both sides need a little bit more feminine, but all of culture is providing us more masculine. Yeah. How? Why? Like, why Why is this the case? And it's also, you know, if you're a true, if you genuinely wanted to celebrate feminism and femininity, you would be putting that on a pedestal. You would be putting traditional feminine qualities on a pedestal, not just for women, but for men as well. Look, like, embrace this bit of you, the bit that is okay to say that you're sad, the bit that's okay to say that I need to work through some shit from when I was younger, the bit that's okay that tells you that you need to have a chat with your friends or that you need to open up to your partner about how that thing that she said last night made you feel or whatever it might be. Like, but that's, it's just not reinforced. I don't, I don't see it being reinforced at all. Well, you know, and that's, I think that's the, the pendulum swings. If it's going hard in the paint in the, the masculine side presently, that will have the repercussions from that and then we'll course correct and then there'll be another swing. You know, it's like Republican, Democrat, back yep. and forth. It's, I mean, that's what we do. And hopefully that leads, or maybe not hopefully, whatever. You know, who am I to say hopefully? But it seems like there, there's value in having a balance. You know, kind of that perfect in-between space of masculine and feminine. I think that's that homeostasis. But then, you know, maybe homeostasis is boring. <laughs> Well, that's why it doesn't like, stay do we, for very long. Why do we swing the damn pendulum in the first place? Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I mean, you you are right that you see this with everything. You see this with whether it be culture, gender roles, politics, that Hegelian dialectic, right? The way you just have this huge, big, fat swing mm -hmm. between the two. Yeah, and that you get to spend, what, like three years in the okay bit in the middle? Yeah. And then it fucks off. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. We got to wrap up. The time is 4.20. What a great, what a great hour. Do you, do you utilize cannabis and, and things of the sort in your life? Is that supportive in your, in your world? I have used it. Has it been, has been supportive in health, fitness, cultivation of mind, life? Any I'd of probably that? need some advice from you on how to use that properly. All right. I don't use it too much. I'd actually like to get some since moving to, to Austin. I don't, I don't okay. have any. But I find when I do use anything like psychoactive, it has the complete opposite effect on me of like the, the cultural taboos. If it makes you like lazy and eat Doritos and what does it do to just you? waste your life away. It, it becomes like a self audit. You know, so I have this, this like third person experience of self examination and you become super introspective, even more so than you are usually. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. In a good way, you know, and I just really, yeah, I mean, it's, it's like a, it's kind of like a come to Jesus moment for me and every time I, I i do it and it 
things like just in my life, the way I conduct myself in my life and like the orientation of my body. You know, if there's joints that are stuck or stiff or rigid or my breath is not to its full potential, full capacity, you know, I'm like, well, I've been like stress breathing for the last X amount of time. In those states, I find that to be, um, and I have greater accountability. You're telling me that I need to take more weed? Is that the solution? No, 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 no. It's another thing. It's like whatever you think, think the opposite. That's like a mm -hmm. Paul Arden book that I'm, I'm a fan of. It's like the things that we're told will like put one's life in shambles. You know, then it's like, well, End up fixing you it. have the experience and sometimes yeah, it creates a reflection. I really appreciate you, man. And you, dude. I'm really, really glad that we became friends since we've been out here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to more. Continue it. We're going to jump over to Modern yeah. Wisdom Podcast. So that'd be a likely place. Yeah. Uh, so where should, where should we point people? So Modern Wisdom on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen. Yeah, if you like your stuff, then there will be an episode with you probably up pretty soon after that one. Right. Uh, and if not, I did an episode with Jordan Peterson this year, which is a good place to start. That's number 307. And YouTube, Chris Williamson, Instagram and Twitter, Chris Will X. And uh, yeah, you get to see some behind the scenes training footage of me and you throwing shit around in oh, yeah. on its gym as well. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you all for tuning in. That's it. That's all. Over now. Hope you guys dug that conversation. If you did, you can tag me at Align Podcast. You can tag Chris over at Chris Willix. That's W-I-L-L-X. And per mention, I'm very excited to share the expanded revised version of the Align Method book. It will be out in the next few days. It's up for pre-sale now. If there was one book that I would give to my mom, my dad, my friends, anybody in my life, um, in order to instruct them on how to get the most out of their body for longevity, for flexibility, for strength, understanding how to wake effectively, understanding how to sleep or rest effectively. This book contains all the information that you need in a simplistic fashion, and you can grab that thing over at thealignbook.com. That's the A-L-I-G-N book.com. All right, that's it. That's all. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'll see you next week. Bye.